I think what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users. But for when that's not the case, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games, or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Welcome, 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 everybody, to This Week in Game, episode 178. We got the full crew. Ethan, Suford, Telfer, myself, Michigan Katkov. Today we're going to talk about Meta's Horizons World's Monetization. Uh, we're going to talk about the Sensor Tower Q1 2022 mobile games report that were touched upon last week when I wasn't here to correct you all and provide real data. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about Ultima's creator making new MMO and it's built on NFTs. This is I think, Suford, you wrote an article about this in Mobile Development. They they took your design document? <laughs> well, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> they, they, it, was, it was like a pitch on Mobile Dev Memo that they just <laughs> printed. Yeah, and like, this is great. what we're doing. And uh, and we're also going to talk about Metaverse articles, the NFT avatars, dogs, epics, Lego Metaverse, all of that nonsense. Um, how's everybody doing? It's It was Steve Mnuchin. Steve Mnuchin was the... So we were... Prior, <laughs> oh this God. is the... <laughs> Prior to us recording, we couldn't remember who the last uh, or the second to last Treasury Secretary was. And it's super relevant to the yeah. audience. It's it's super relevant because I was wondering how can we get billions of investment into a fund from <laughs> Saudi Arabia? You know so, he knows. It is so, crypto. So if there's anybody from Saudi Arabia listening, we're open to business. Uh, the, let's start the with a B. Destructor of fun coin. <laughs> yeah. Not, no, 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 no. We'll call them the Cressies if no. they'd like Fiat to invest in the Cressies. only. We're talking about dollars, dollar Yeah, bills. they'll give us dollars and we'll give mm-hmm. them Cressies. Oh my God. No, oh, no, none of that. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> um, Adam, how's baby life? It's all right. It's all right. Um, oldest is now yes. in daycare. So my life is like, made a mm-hmm. major step up <laughs> she's not liking it yet but you know that's that's part of life um but it's just like a walk down the street that's mm-hmm. the canadian life you know i just walk down the street drop her off at daycare uh, pick her up I, I, I do the same thing man i do the yeah. same thing it's not a canada thing yeah except eric does do, it okay. arm yes awesome. i do it's <laughs> a 10 minute walk i did it i do it every day <laughs> or it's 15 minute walk it's, it's okay that's good it's nothing 
Okay, that's. Good. I better not get hit by a car. But you have to I better not get hit by a car across the street. <laughs> then I'm bankrupt. I was going to make a gun joke. The the Levy family puts a decent amount of miles going to Mm. and fro healthcare every day. So yeah, Yeah, but you live in in South Carolina. Well, I'm I'm just outside of a a big city. All right, enough of this nonsense. Let's let's get into into the topics. Um, Okay, I can I can get off since my app is here. Why is is Press not here? What's his excuse? Uh, He's uh, spring break. Spring break. Yeah, he's in Florida having a spring break. (laughs) Probably in some. <laughs> yeah, he got so lean that he's he went yeah. to Florida. <laughs> so he got handled I, by I, the. No, but I, you know what? I went to Fort Lauderdale last summer, and that's like you know because you go to Miami and it's like it's pretty cosmopolitan. There's like a lot of Latin influence, a lot of European influence. Fort Lauderdale is like pure white trash influence. It is like I imagine that's where like he went. <laughs> I bet, I bet he would fit in there. I almost got in a fight. Some guy, I was at the bar ordering a drink. Some guy just comes up to me and shoulder checks me just to start a fight. And I look up. Yeah, really. And I turned around and I had to like look up like this. This dude was like 6'8", 400 pounds. He was like the biggest jacked up meathead you've ever seen. And he just like wanted to try to pit. And I just like was like, nope. And I just backed away with my hands up like this. I'm like, I'm not fighting you, man. I'm Would not you fought him if he was more your size or smaller than you? No, I'm not trying to go to a, get in fights. Why would I fight anybody? It's, it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, anyways. Uh, okay, so I didn't say that. Um, so if also, anyone that would like joke. to fund Mishka's Fight Club, <laughs> no, no. In, in, in fact, I've I've actually you know I've I've done quite a lot of fighting, sanctioned fighting. Uh, right. through, but anyways, uh, I'll, I'll move forward. Uh, so I want to say thanks for everybody for all the other uh, reviews on on Spotify. If you haven't done it, do it right now. If you're on Spotify and you're listening to this, like if you scroll down, it's right be- below the icon. We're officially now a five star show uh, with uh, with like I don't know 120, 160 reviews, something like that. So if we can get a couple of stars from you, if you enjoy this podcast, if you feel amused by it, enraged by it, and and just tuning it all the time. Just throw us a couple of stars and and would be thankful for it. Anyway, uh, I also want to mention just a couple of things about the Istanbul event. So we got some scores. We averaged at 4.5 out of 5 for all the talks. And actually, I just want to give a shout out to Javier Barnes, whose presentation on game economy racked up the highest score like if the average is 4.5 you can imagine what his scores did so if you haven't watched that i'm gonna link it below uh so you can check out his talk about game economy the guy just crushed it put in his stool the bar stool just sat down and just started spitting fire i'll have to uh steal that i'm, I'm giving a talk on game economy next week and yeah, i haven't yeah, in my slides so i'll just word on I'll word steal it. use use spanish accent while we do it and um and also uh for the next event that is in planning we're going to bring in the big guns, GGC, GDC OGs, Adam Telfer, Ethan Levy. I mean, you guys have one of the best talks every time they do the scoring. You guys kill it every time you're talking. I've been to Ethan's talk. I've been on Adam talks. I even uh, I even like pushed myself to be a partner on Adam talk so that I can get my score up. So I was just like yeah. wingmanning in his talk. So uh, you guys are in for a treat if you come to the next event that we're going to announce in few months, but anyways, um, and I want to say a couple of things about the, uh, the latest newsletter piece. Uh, I wrote quickly about EA's acquisition. You guys talked, uh, Chris talked about it in the last podcast about EA's glue acquisition. I kind of listened to it. So I went a little bit deeper, pulled some data. Um, it was pretty interesting because EA showed 68% growth on their bookings, uh, for Q3 2022 compared to Q3 21 and Q3 2020. It's kind of weird how they show Q3 because in, in 22 we haven't gotten. Anyway, um, and I kind of made a point that this is a little bit misleading, if I can say, because it accounts all the new games that they acquired and they kind of put them into their portfolio and they're showing the growth of the portfolio. So as a whole, their mobile business for sure grew and will keep growing, but it's really based on the addition of these games. So I pulled the data from Sensor Tower and I was looking really at the percentages uh, comparing kind of Q121 to Q122 and really sh- saw a quite significant decline across the portfolio. Now, this is typical for all mobile gaming portfolios right now because mobile gaming had such a surge for a couple of years and now the games are going down. Um, and it was quite clear that even though the downloads were up overall, 
that really wasn't seen as the growth of the individual games because the games that grew in downloads were the ones that don't really monetize. And what was really worrisome is that that if you check out the newsletter, there's a lot of games on the red, like out of their portfolio of the games that make most of the in-app purchases, most of them are on the red. And what's really worrisome is especially the games that they acquired, like Golf Clash, Design Home, Coward Fashion, Kim Kardashian, MLB Tap Sports, you name it, all of them were were in the red, both in terms of downloads as well as in terms of revenue. And um and I have to apologize just on one thing. That's why I'm kind of reciting this is um, I gave a point saying that it's because of how EA has integrated these companies. Um, and I don't know. And I didn't, I it was, a. am not a journalist and it was a poor journalism if I've ever done it because I didn't, I only based on hearsay that they have gone through integration rather than, than keeping them autonomous like Zynga did. Um, but to be clear, I think, first of all, I was looking at their LinkedIn status. A lot of leadership teams have left uh, of these studios. And to be clear, in my opinion, there's really three reasons why people leave post-acquisition. One is the earnout contract is not optimal and they feel that they can't achieve it. Uh, Number two is working with the acquirer is not something that they enjoy. And number three is they have a strong incentive to start something new. And what I should have wrote is, there's most likely all these three elements at play. I don't know which one is the most important, but I think that's the reason why a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people have left who are in the leadership positions, who were in the leadership positions at Glue as well as Playdemic. But in the end, wish them all the luck. Apex Legends Mobile. Hope it crushes. Hope it's a fantastic game, and hope EA gets these uh, these games going. And and maybe this is just a short term bump, uh, and on long term it's going to be great. So this is my kind of like a small. Um, correction to the newsletter piece. Anybody want to weigh in? No? Well, I would say that there's a strong incentive for for anyone to go start something new right now. Yeah. I mean, the money's flowing, right? Like, every company is having retention problems. When I was at GDC, I mean, that was like, it was the, the two main themes were, hey, a lot of my best people are leaving, and it's, it's worrisome, and... <laughs> Hey, uh, I just started a new studio with my best buddy, and we raised $8 million in a pre-seed. <laughs> yeah. So it's like... Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like any big studio is going to have a hard time retaining people right now. I don't know that it has to necessarily be uh, like any sort of friction resulting from M&A. It's just really hard to keep people right now because the opportunity cost is so high to stay at Big Co making decent money versus go start a company, raise a, a really substantial pre-seed round, right, just with a deck um, and take a shot at mega money. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, it's good that, like, that's why I wanted to make the correction because that's definitely, uh, one of the reasons why, why somebody would, would leave, um, quickly post acquisition. Mm. Uh, Sophie Vo, who's a friend of the podcast, has a great, uh, podcast herself, Rise and Play. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Fuchs, who was, uh, leading the Covet business, uh, did an interview that I really liked recently. And she was like, I've worked for EA three times before. I just couldn't do it a fourth time. I think that's a, I wonder how many glue folks are, uh, actually do have that. Um, but I thought that was an interesting perspective of just like, I've worked for EA enough times in my life right now. It's yeah. not what I want to do. But even that, that like saying that is kind of like not very positive to be honest. Well, yeah. I mean, she was been, I think she, to, to your point of reasons why people leave, it sounded mm-hmm. like she was looking forward to more entrepreneurial work. Yes, try something new. Yeah, I get it. If from that perspective, of course, it's the context and, and the tone that it's being said. Um, I I definitely recommend Sophie's podcast. Yes, interviews. Yes, for sure. Um, rise and play, everybody. Um, what topic should we move on next? Do you, do you guys want to cover the Sensor Tower article? Let's do it. Yeah, let's. Do okay, it so Sensor Tower released this this article. They do the quarterly articles. Um, every quarter and uh, and the uh, basically what the article said is consumer spending on mobile games declined seven point well seven percent year over year um to 21 billion dollars um and they are saying that both app store and google play are seeing less revenue when compared to the year ago uh, period uh, mobile games on apple's platform saw about 13 billion uh down 2.3% year over year, while Google Play saw its mobile games revenue decline 13.8% down to 8.1%. So much larger decline in terms of percentages uh, on, on even a less monetizing platform. Uh, worldwide downloads of mobile games grew 2%. Uh, 
uh, year over year, climbing to $14.4 billion. This was driven mainly by Google Play, which grew 2.5%. 12 billion first-time downloads this quarter. App Store games installed remained flat year over year. So summarizing, Google Play grew and downloads. App Store remained at the same. Uh, this represents a normalization in the market following supercharged growth during the onset of COVID-19 as well as slow down spending possibly due to factors such as rising cost of living. However, the categories that saw a boost due to COVID-19 have continued to see their usage climb year over year. So uh, kind of my comments, since I'll give us an overview of the global market, uh, what I like to do personally is exclude China, Korea, Japan from these ones just because it gives more actionable data for us uh, who are who are not making games for those markets, I mean, they're very hard to penetrate and very unique in many sense. And a lot of games that are found successful in those markets don't have any success in the West and other ways around. So uh, what I did is I kind of pulled the data and focused really on North America or even U.S., kind of looking at how these numbers are looking in the in the premier Western market. So few winners. Uh, in the overall declining in revenue market. One was the arcade games grew revenues by 12%. And I've been kind of not bullish about arcade games because they kind of fall in between uh, being a little bit more niche uh, and not very well monetizing. Nevertheless, games like Claw Wii, Miner, Egg Inc., Hungry Shark, those were the games that, that grew their revenue during this time. Hypercasual games also grew their revenues. And personally, I believe why hypercasual arcade games grew their in-app purchase revenue is because they have been focusing much more on in-app purchases as in-app ads have been under the impact of the ATT. I don't know, Eric, if you agree with this. Um, I don't know. I mean, these numbers just, I don't know if they pass the smell test for me, <laughs> okay. right? Like just, just like the, why would, why would Android be down so much? And I don't yeah. like, I don't know that there's this much of a COVID correction. Um, yeah. I think we might be seeing a difficulty for these types of companies to be able to to predict this stuff or to estimate this stuff very well. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. This doesn't. I don't. I can't understand why. I mean, I think that's just that's not that's not borne out by any of the numbers that we see reported from the platforms, right? Yeah. Um. So to my mind, I don't know. This maybe. I'm not sure if I trust these numbers 100. percent Got it. So I'll I'll. I'll kind of talk about some of the losers of, of the market if, if this if these numbers are correct um you know a lot of whale games saw a decline of course casino the installs are down by 30 percent. the revenue is down by 15 so kind of trailing behind rpgs installs down 18 percent, followed by the revenue decline of 19 so pretty much on par strategy installs pretty much stable but they're drop in revenue and i was actually kind of started looking more and more into different genres and subgenres. So what we can see in strategy, for example, is like Forex dipped slightly, but it's now growing again. And, and at the same time, there are genres inside strategy that were growing quite significantly, like tower defense, like RTS. So when we're talking about a decline of certain type of games, it's not across the board, it's in certain genres. And um, when, when looking at sort of a, like a surprising losers, um, if, if you will, uh, geolocation games, aka Pokemon Go, saw a 42% decline um, when comparing Q1 of 2021 to Q1 2022. But then again, the Q, Q1 in 2021 was an absolute record quarter for Pokemon Go. So it, it looks like it has declined more significantly because we're just comparing these quarters. Sports games was down by 11%. That's a little bit surprising. But at the same time, we know that EA Sports hasn't been doing so well in sports, and they're quite big player. FIFA is up, but pretty much every other franchise is down. Puzzle game was, was down by 10%. That was a little bit surprising because we know that Candy Crush has been growing quite significantly. But overall, these sort of like big genres like Classic Match 3 and Puzzles and Decorate and Tile Blast saw small dips, and that affected the whole genre, even though other kind of smaller puzzle genres were seeing quite significant growth. But one thing that you guys were talking about in the last episode was shooters, and that's very close to my heart So I, and and my wallet. Uh, actually, my wallet is close to my heart as well. So, so, so I wanted to <laughs> kind of keep it in know. the breast pocket. Yes, exactly. So, so I really wanted to analyze this part. And what, what I what I, what I looked at it is like there's a significant decline in revenue in the subgenre in certain subgenres of shooters. So, 
meaning uh, battle royales and sort of first-person, third-person shooters. So um, Call of Duty Mobile, Garena Free Fire, um, PUBG Mobile. These are the biggest games, and they saw quite significant drop in revenue. Call of Duty Mobile, when comparing Q2-21 to Q1-22, um, declined in revenue 34%. Garena Free Fire, 41% decline, despite seeing growth of downloads, despite launching Garena Free Fire Max. Um, PUBG Mobile, also a 37% decline when comparing these quarters. And um, yeah, these are, these, are, these are quite significant. And why this is, I don't know. I was, I was going deeper. I, I mean, I play all these games and and one thing that I, I could assume, because at the same time, some other shooter genres were growing like sniper games and vehicular shooters, might it be so that, that, um, that there's, um, there's so, some, some kind of a saturation point for, for Call of Duty and Garena and PUBG that that, um, that that affects those big games and that kind of brings down the whole category? Because the smaller games continue to grow, like Zuba, like War Robots, um, uh, Mechorena. These type of games were, were growing despite despite the uh, the decline of the big ones. Any ideas? Right. Do you get a sense of like playtime now that's changed? I, I I did some analysis, but Adam, I I'll, I I admit I did not do quite as much. Like there's those data, and I could I could take a look in ARP DAOs. Um, I got some some data from from Sensor Tower. Just because like like installs is not a yeah. great indicator yeah. of yeah. engagement in these things because. Like these are like cosmetic-driven services, and remember when yeah. COVID hit, these were some of the games that had the biggest uplift, and it's because like these are cosmetic-driven services that are very, very dependent on active mm-hmm. players and very, very active playtime to drive revenue. Um, so my assumption is is that if we looked at like Mao estimates or like playtime estimates, um, that there might be a, a signal there of why I will actually ask for that. I had I had the data for pe- for previous quarters, and it would show it was showing that shooters were uh, amongst the highest DAU on mobile gaming. They were kind of competing head to head against hyper casual games and arcade games, uh, and at the same time, their mal was significantly lower than those, and that essentially shows that the DAU compared to MAU, so they're more engaging than than these games with um, with. With, with less engagement, uh, but they're not getting quite as many downloads, even though the downloads are quite significant, but not you know in the top one. But I, what I'll ask for from Sensor Tower is is to get some more of these engagement metrics, and I'll get back in the in the next podcast. But but that makes sense if the engagement drops in these economy driven shooters, unlike the War Robots, uh, unlike the uh, the Mech Arenas, then that is that are more like power progression based. Then that means that the the uh, cosmetics monetization will will go down. Yeah, I just because what I'm assuming you would see is like MAU yeah. spikes or weekly active player spikes. If they're not, if events and seasons mm-hmm. are not spiking that up as much as possible, right? As yeah. much as they used to, um, then they're becoming less effective, or the underlying loyal mm-hmm. fan base is is um, leaving. So typically, when we're doing this like in Sensor Tower, you're looking at like peaks yeah. between those revenue spikes between seasons. To get it was just decline that. overall. That's like doing, like yeah. it was, but but. But Sufra, you you you're kind of poking holes at least on the Android side. Um, do you think this is really just an iOS Android? Like, and on the Android, they don't they're not able to estimate as well, which is what's. I mean, it could be. I, you know, these estimates are they're pretty rough anyway. They're panel based. But I mean, I'm just sorry. I'm just it's just a couple, uh, a couple touch points, right? So I'm looking at Playtica right now, Q4 right earnings, but they've got Q4 2021. Showing 13% growth over Q420, right? So 13% year over year growth in Q4. It'd be weird to me if that reversed for Q1, right? And then they actually have, they include January 2022 versus January 2021 um, in the presentation. And that shows 9% revenue growth, right? So January 2022 over January 2021. So that's, you know, the first month of Q1, right? But like, so the Q1 was tough. I mean, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I saw that kind of across the board, but I don't know that I buy these numbers that, that, the, that, that the market shrank. If you look at Zynga, Q4, uh, 695 20 in 2021 versus 616 2020. So again, they grew quite a bit year over year. And then you look at King, King's in-game net bookings grew 14% year over year. For, again, it's Q4, but still, like, it'd be weird if it was growing year over year through Q4 and then Q1 for whatever reason um there was a a, a contraction or, or a relative contraction to, to last year I don't believe there would there would be that big of a covid impact 
I don't think uh, 20, Q1 2021 was a big, uh, um, a big beneficiary of COVID. I can't re- recall any sort of like major lockdowns that happened that quarter. Mm. It seems like all that stuff was in Q2 2020. Uh, so I, I don't know. It just, I just, these numbers kind of don't pass the smell test to me, but we'll see because everyone's going to report earnings uh, in the next few weeks. So we'll know for sure. Yeah, yeah. This is this. I'm actually looking at Candy Crush, and Candy, according to Sensor Tower, Candy Crush revenue halved uh, com- compared, like March to October last year. It's it's half now to what it used to be in October of 2021. So, yeah. So in in the Activision earnings, they say uh, that a lot of that 14 percent growth again Q4 2021 to Q4 20 uh, Q4 2020 to Q4 2021 was Candy Crush. So 20% year-over-year growth for Candy Crush from Q4 2020 to Q4 2021. So it'd be weird. That seems strange. I mean, this is reported from King. Yeah, yeah. No, well, we'll, we'll see it soon and kind of start comparing these numbers. Right, just... Let's get some sense of just, just, people just, on just, here. Let's dig into this. But just calling that out. <laughs> so from Q4 2020 to Q4 2021, Candy Crush uh, grew uh, net, in-game netbook games by 20%. So clearly it's not halved, right? Like there's no way you, I don't, there's no, there's no sort of math that backs out to like a halving at any point in time. Yeah. They, well, they grew, according to this one, they kind of grew and peaked in October and then declined back to where they were before. That's how, how the graph looks. But anyways, uh, we'll get back to it. Okay. Um, next news story. Um, China has ended the gaming approval freeze. Um, and it's granting its first licenses since July of last year. Um, this was covered by Nico Partners, uh, which is obviously the best source for this type of information, not me, absolutely. Um, so the National Press Publication Administration, NPPA, reopened and announced 45 domestic games for approval. Um, 39 of those are mobile, um, has been shut down for roughly about 263 uh, days. Um, and I looked through the list. I don't really recognize any of them. So you know, if if a listener here pokes at me and says there is something big on this list, let me know. The only one that I kind of recognize was Life Party by Lilith. Um, obviously, Lilith is massive and great for them to be able to actually launch new games. Um, this is the domestic batch. So import games typically have their own batch. Um, so uh, Nico is kind of uh, predicting that that hopefully next three months, another batch would come out for those import games. Um, Nico reports also that approvals have restarted because concerns regarding non-compliance have been addressed uh, because they believe that the 2021-22 freeze was initiated due to um, lack of compliance in re- uh, regard to protection of minors and game content regulations. Um, so now over 5,000 game companies have connected to the National Anti-Addiction System and numerous companies have made changes to in-game content um, and uh, non-compliant companies have been investigated and fined. So what this pretty much means is that, you know, hopefully that this is now opening back up as long as companies uh, follow these rules around compliance. And um, obviously we're hoping that we're getting more uh, import games coming through. Um, I think the big worry here is that there's been this massive COVID-19 lockdown in Shanghai, which of course directly impacts game companies headquarters there. Uh, they'd love to be launching new games and getting uh, rising the tide from 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 this COVID bump um, happening in Shanghai. But right now, only existing games can really take advantage. Um, regardless, Nico is now forecasting 500 to 700 games to be approved in 2022, which is good. Um, next articles I want to cover. Uh, my one article, I'm just going to talk about a whole bunch of metaverse shit because there's a whole bunch of articles that came out this week around metaverses so if you're not so interested in metaverses and nfts this is chris would have would have fucking gone crazy like you're, about you're biting on my style adam yeah. <laughs> no, well sorry this is this is coming from my right, perspective right. so you're gonna um, because these are a lot of yeah, triggering yeah. headlines okay these are a lot of trigger headlines because to be honest like i looked through the list of all the headlines this week and it was like 75 <laughs> percent of them are this stuff and we have to call these out um, so the the highest triggering headline that I saw this week was uh, Genies raises $150 million at over a billion-dollar valuation to create metaverse avatars. So Genies makes avatars that people can customize to their own needs and provides celebrities with avatars that can be used as stand-ins 
for online events. And they raised $65 million in May last year and now need another $150 million to build this. And don't worry, they've reached 99% celebrity avatar market share. It's, it's, what the fuck we, does that so, mean? So we had a, we had a Wolf 3D, uh, the guys from um, Ready Player One, uh, the CEO from Ready Player One, the uh, Estonian... Um, Ready Player handsome, Me. Ready Player, Ready player Me. Ready Player yeah. Me. Sorry, sorry, Ready Player Me. Yeah. Um, really great. Timu, Timu Toke came in and, and talked about his company, and they've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> Overwolf is a great not, not Overwolf. It's the no, mod not Overwolf, company, right? Ready, oh, ready player me. Uh, uh, ready, ready player me. Yeah, there used to be okay, Wolf yeah. 3D, and then they're Ready Player Me. Um, his valuation wasn't this, and they they have like the whole thing. They have like thousands of clients, all these big game companies and entertainment companies, you name it, and they are able to like it's just crazy. And then we talked about his company. You can go back in the uh, I'll, I'll link it into this podcast. And now I was reading this news, like 150 million to make exactly what uh, Ready Player Me was already doing for a long time. It sounds weird. I just need to understand, like, what's the difference? Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched WebShop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees, and then regain control over distribution, Exola Web Shop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro slash D-O-F or go to the link in this podcast description. Now, back to the episode. I mean, this is this looks like a Bitmoji competitor. Like someone or groups of people are taking a big bet that the future of social networks are... 3D virtual worlds, and in these, there will be some service like Bitmoji that wins the equivalent of VR texting, and so that's what what a bet in genies is. That's what it looks like to me. But, but you do, do you honestly? I'm not. Believe I'm not saying I believe in it. I'm trying to reverse engineer okay, the hypothesis okay. <laughs> um, because I've said before no, no, yeah, that no, like I, I don't okay. believe in. I I think. I mean, I think to be mass market. VR and AR is really going to require contact lenses. And until we get there, and even once we get there, we probably prefer Discord over hanging out in, you know, future second lives. Okay. But, okay, so this company's valued at a billion dollars when there's plenty of already existing avatar companies out there that this is now competing with. And this isn't even included in any games. So Dean Takahashi tweeted this out. And Tim Sweeney probably just mm-hmm. <laughs> looks this up, replies to it, and it's just like, so what games do they work in? And teen, Dean Takahashi, of course, replied, none. So why, like, the, the big question I have is, like, they, they built this kind of avatar system that anyone can technically use. But why would any scaled game developer want to use their system? Right? Like, any social network, like, say, Apple or, or Facebook or anybody they would build their fucking own. Like, they would build their own avatar system, right? Like, I think all of these companies chasing after the metaverse, right? They all want to build up the infrastructure and own the largest piece of the pie of that metaverse, right? So why in the hell would they <laughs> ever, right, use these guys' avatar system instead of just building their own, right? When they could drive so much more revenue from that. And, like, it does not cost... 65 million plus this 150 million to build an avatar system, right? Like what they're, that they're showing is, is so simple. I don't know. Can I mean, I defend? was actually talking about the business model with Timo and he was, exp- he was kind of trying to explain how they're thinking about making it. There's like a, if you use one avatar in multiple different games, how you get making like game from like revenue from here and revenue from there based on your usage, almost like Apple arcade type of approach. Um, yeah, just check that pocket. It, I, super I, I think, exactly that's I what I mean it's, like, it's to, unclear 
I think in in order to um, buy into this round, you have to both believe that the metaverse will be a thing and also that interoperable NFTs will be a thing. And so if... And, and that developers will want right, to do that, no, right? Exactly. That be, That's what I mean incentivized by incentivized enough to want you, to you have to, In order for this company to, to pan out, both uh, uh, there have to be a series of popular, successful... 3D virtual worlds that have all chosen interoperability because consumers want it. Um, I don't. Yeah. That uh, that's not something I would invest my my time in building because I I know the challenges to interoperability. It's like placing a difficult bet on an already difficult bet, and it's um, it's almost too many. I I don't have a long enough <laughs> view of what I believe the future is going to be. Yeah. To, to make that sort of bet. So, so doubling down on interoperability, yeah. there was another trigger yeah. headline this week. And I really wish Press was here. <laughs> I feel like there would be some yelling. In the so Digital Pets yeah. Company has launched crypto dogs <laughs> for the metaverse. <laughs> okay, so it's an AI-driven 3D digital dog that you can bring as a companion through all of these mm-hmm. different metaverses. Uh, with the quote being that in the coming decade, we will see more and more virtual spaces where people will spend time but those spaces will be very empty and lonely without suitable content, which connects people and establishes substantial social relationships. Dogs, which are man's best friend, make us happier, help <laughs> us connect with new people. So they're building 3D yeah. dogs. I don't understand the AI-driven part of it, but okay, like you're building 3D dogs you can interact with that then can carry through all the games. And even like right on their website, they're showing all these VR games Right, and they're like, "Hey, we have a SDK that you can th- throw into this app." So they've got like Beat Saber. Why the fuck would I play Beat Saber to interact with a dog? <laughs> what, never, what are, you don't want your dog dancing <laughs> beside you? Is you? Can you can you explain? And like, why again? Like interruptibility. Yeah. Why would any developer of a VR game spend the time adding your, your collection dogs yeah. with a completely different visual style to their VR game, completely different rendering technology, right? Like think of how difficult like integrating an SDK is into a developer already, right? A developer is very sensitive about things like how did you create that SDK and is it going to cause a whole bunch of bullshit memory leaks in my code, right? Now you're doing it on a, a full graphical scale. <laughs> It just completely well, he, brushes that at, aside, right? So, and again, like VR chat, which would be the only app that I could consider this being added to because they're like, they don't really have a visual style. You can just kind of throw whatever the fuck you want in VR chat. Why would they do this? Why wouldn't they just make their own goddamn dog thing or or open it up to to their creators to build dogs Adam, for their app? You're right? preaching like, to the, the choir. I remember that. I was, uh, I was talking to a VC from a pretty, you know, substantial European VC company. And um, that's how I actually got introduced to Timu because um, they they haven't invested into his company, but I think they were planning to invest or investigating. And he kind of like mid mid sentence started uh, pitching this company, and I started asking exactly these type of like uh, logical questions, like what would you do about this? What would you do about? That? And he was like, Yeah, well, you know, it's like. <laughs> The just totally brushed it off. I'm like, you should just talk to Timu about these. So meaning that they hadn't thought about any practicalities. <laughs> said, yeah. yeah, they, they and, hadn't. And really, that's how I ended up talking to Timu. <laughs> but but I knew a smart guy that I exactly think just has just talked to the CEO. Yeah. Like I saw the deck, it was it made all the sense. We were thinking about putting in a couple of hundreds. <laughs> so it's but, but I'm curious. Like Eric, you were at these crypto parties on on, on GDC and another ones like. Do these deals get made in these parties because they sound like it? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I didn't. I didn't get the sense that people were like talking shop per se. But yeah, that was the weirdest party I've ever been to. Ever, you know, it was just like I didn't know what planet I was on. Like, I was talking to some of these people, and like, I was like, "So, what? What are you doing, games?" And everybody was a VC, by the way. And like, oh, I invest in Web three games, and I'm like, oh, cool. Like, ever work in games? No. Uh, how'd you, you know, how big's your fund? 800 million or whatever. Uh, well, where are you based? Like I'm an, I travel all over. I, I don't have a home. Uh, and it was just like, that was everybody. And people are wearing clothes that like, look like they came out of an episode of saved by the bell and dressed weird. And everyone's hair was weird. It was just like a very weird environment. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel like, yeah, I'm at a gaming party. 
I felt like I was in that movie Hackers. So, so are we old now? Like, are, are we old? No, I don't. Like, no, like it's just a different. Thing. It's a very different. <laughs> I don't know. Group of people with like yeah. different backgrounds and different uh, motivations, right? And it's not. I don't think there are, a lot of these people aren't like gamers, right? And they're not. They they don't see this as like a, an exercise in bringing games to market. It's just like, well. I'm really into crypto and games are probably like the tip of the spear in terms of consumer adoption. And so that's where I'm going to invest my time and money. Um, but like, I think my sense would be like any, any of the people I talk to, first of all, they're all like 20, but any of the people I've talked to, they, they never had attended a GDC before, right? Like it was GDC was like, oh, this is a crypto event um, within this, within the context of gaming, right? It, what, they didn't see this as like, you know, the legends of gaming are here and, you know, and, 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 you know, it, it's, it's like, there's this long history of, of game development that that is uh, celebrated here it's like oh this is crypto uh this is a crypto event um but with the the consumer vertical that we were focused on is gaming and then the next week they would have been at a, at a fintech event right with talking crypto right no but has, has have any of you met somebody who's got a good perspective on interruptibility that sounds like actually a feasible yeah i did a I just i did a podcast with the stardust um team uh the founder and the um the chief business officer. And the point there was like, not that, you know, interoperability means this asset looks exactly the same and has the exact same characteristics and traits in game A as it does in game B. It's more like there's a spec um, and my, and my ownership of this asset is sort of guaranteed in this other, in this other space. Um, But it could look different. It could behave different. Like it's just based on the spec, right? On the ownership. And the reason you would want to offer that. and this I thought was a, a pretty compelling argument. The reason you would want to offer interoperability is that it's a good marketing tactic, right? Like, hey, you can bring your assets to this other game. I'm going to allow you to do that, right? And so that makes it appealing for someone to like want to down- try that game because it's what I've invested time and money and energy into uh, farming these assets or building these assets or whatever it is, and I want to keep them. And so not offering that dissuades people from down, you know, enjoying and engaging with the game, right? Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, there's another aspect to this, which is, um, you know, interoperability, um, you know, c- can kind of be like a pull mechanism, right? Like if you remember Clash of Clans came out and then there was Clash of Clones, right? Like that whole, you know, tsunami of, of, of Me Too games. And what a lot of those, what a lot of those games companies did was they approached like the tier two clans in Clash and they were like, hey, um, you're never going to be tier one. You just can't. You you had to be here f- fast. You had to be here first. And so these 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 other clans will forever be better than you. If you want to be the top dog clan, if you want to be a top clan, um, you can have like you have the first mover advantage in our game, right? And so we'll like kind of bring over that clan structure and we'll help facilitate you shifting over, um, so that you know you can you can be a, a competitor in our game where you'll never be one in Clash. And like, so that kind of dynamic seems like it could take root here. It's like, hey, well, you, uh, you worked hard, you got all these assets, but look, um, you, you're just never going to be a top uh, competitor in this game or you're never going to have, like you get, you get, you get, uh, you just get sort of like aged out of some, or not aged out, but like, what's the right word? You get, you get elbowed out of some games, right? Like, cause if you weren't there first, all the, there's a finite number of assets or whatever and people take them. And so you'll never be able to compete with like the people that were there first, the golden cohort. And so it's like, well, come be the golden cohort in our game. We'll, we'll honor all the assets that you own in this game. You can bring them with you. Right. And that's like, I think a compelling, um, hook, that's a compelling, uh, uh, kind of, uh, carrot to bring people yeah, into that, a new game. That's good. That's good for the new, but, but that, but that, but that assumes, yeah, but that assumes that you, you have an almost like cloned economy that you can actually recreate all those assets in the same way and in this case like just moving a clan over and the people within it doesn't seem like that big of a problem um that seems like pretty simple but the moving assets over like i've earned all of these cosmetics means that in that second game i'm kind of kneecapping that that progression vertical that that economy um for, for my own game, right? Like if I'm bringing over all the cosmetics that you earned in that other game to mine, that means that I can't sell them. No, I have to produce all of them to, to make sure that right. they work in my game. And I'm not making yeah, any course, money. I'm not saying there's not challenges. Of course, it's very challenging, right? Because game economies are very delicate and they're complex. Um, and so you, you, you uh, exponentially increase the complexity when you have to honor items from some other game and you're like, it's very difficult to do. I'm just saying like that, that, that yeah. did seem like an argument in favor of like, well, op- interoperability does 
add value, right? Right, right. Well, that so th- in in that example, that provides value to the vampire, right? The attacker who's trying to siphon users off the game, but it is a prime example of why you know Fortnite would never would not want their objects to be interoperable NFTs. They've already won. Why would the ability for someone else to siphon off their players be of benefit to them? Well, but would, yeah, but it, it would have to be that the the secondary market sales uh, royalty would increase so much from other games using my thing that it would turn into revenue for me. And I think you're going to have a hard time finding someone to sign up up for that. You know, and I'd love to build that model to say like what percentage of that cap table for it, yeah. that specific cosmetic set would make sense as the developer and makes sense as the yeah I, I hear you but but the other thing is like you can think about this in in the fortnite context like well they have a lot of ip based uh characters and skins right so like what happens if the ip holder says no look i want this to be an interoperable um nft essentially i want but this to be able to exist again, everywhere if you're nike why would you want to sell one permanent cross game nft license to epic instead of selling 20 licenses to 20 different people right like how is that good for the licensor if it's if it's cross-platform i thought I sell you were the one- crypto cheerleader why am i defending this to you look just just because i believe in the ability of crypto to help me build a better game economy within one game um i i don't the interoperable um, vision is a really tough one for me. I don't, that's, I don't that's, really believe that, in it. That's I exactly what Timo gonna, was talking about. But, that That's what he was talking yeah. about in his episode. Like if you pay, you know, 10 ETH for something, then if you're using in this metaverse and then you take it to another game and the third one, they kind of calculate based on the time of usage and how much is allocated between different games. Like that, that right, was their even, model. Even, I mean, that, that then requires so like there's no standard that's not baked into the code right now so that requires each game that signs up to integrate the ready player me avatars to give money back to ready player me for that or i think genius has about creating this. a pool based on their secondary revenue <laughs> share i think and genius then sharing has it, it with the creators of they, those they NFTs. know exactly what's going on so <laughs> i so i think we have to we have to do like a, a podcast or like a, just a debate um, directly somebody like from like Tamo from from Ready Player Me and actually directly talk about this because I think all four of us are skeptical yeah. about it. I Maybe am. Sc- no, I was just saying when but, someone else told me that I thought. <laughs> yeah, was like no, a, no. A reasonable I think, argument. <laughs> no, look, I, I'm I'm skeptical of that too. I, where, where I think interoperability can work, and you're seeing this happen now, is a lot of these platforms are kind of like they're designed to be the crypto asset uh, management platform for games, right? And I think within that platform, maybe. Right. If it's like it's, it's got to be a controlled environment, but it's it's it, then you're also kind of working against the tide with respect to crypto because it's centralized. Right. The whole idea of crypto is like can go anywhere. Any place can access this. Any game can like pluck it off the blockchain and say, hey, this this belong, this this is available to you in our game, too. That I see no future in. But I could see with, you know, like uh, come to us just announced their platform. Right. Um, within that platform, they, they make it they have like a specific set of these NFTs that can be interoperable because there's been thought put into how does this fit into the economy of all these different games? And, you know, that's been like thoughtfully designed. I don't think like a free-for-all, like any asset can be in any game. Of course, that's never going to work. That's that's impossible. But I think like if it's very deliberate and thoughtful, maybe. And maybe that's a value prop to the user because it's like, hey, well, you invested a lot of time and effort and money into get into acquiring this item. Well, guess what? Uh, good news. This is a this is able. You're able to use this in other games, but I think that would have to be all constrained within the scope of one platform, right? Where that where that design can happen. Yeah, and it becomes then almost like connected to that publisher. Right. So like, come to us has a very strong incentive to pull a bunch of games right. into their platform to to add to that value. And whenever they look at the the PL of an individual title, right? It's, it's, you'd almost think about like as cross promotion, right? Within a like, it's probably the same kind of calculus, the revenue calculus that you'd think about. Like, yeah, we we acquire these games. We can cross-promote people around. We acquire a user into the portfolio. We get three LTVs out of them instead of one, right? Like, it'd be that kind of thing. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, which is great, which I think I would absolutely be on board with. But then these companies that are building these individual pieces and then getting billion-dollar valuations, like building the dogs, right? That doesn't work, right? Like, you have to be the calm to us right. in this yeah, situation, yeah. right? You, you no, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm with you. I, I was just, I was stating another argument that I thought was pretty compelling. I love the Stardust guys. No, it's good. It's good. 
It's what yeah. we're here for. All good. Um, so I did want to <laughs> actually move into the only news that actually mattered this week around Metaverse. Um, Epic Games landed a $2 billion investment from Sony as well as from uh, KIR, KBI, which is the holding company behind Lego. Uh, the funding will advance the company's vision to build the metaverse and support its continued growth. Um, so my thinking here is that Epic has already won the metaverse war, right? Like everyone else can just go home. Tim Sweeney will become James Halliday from Ready Player One. We can just accept it because you stack rank all of these major companies that are all going against the metaverse and who actually has the right vision to get there. So you think of what Epic has, Unreal Engine. Did you see the UE5 release? Absolutely incredible engine. And they can absolutely bring it to the point where they can go to a no-code solution, right? So you have the full power of being able to create incredibly immersive environments as well as incredible multiplayer technology, as well as the ability to go towards Fortnite Creative and open it up to a ton of different players. Like Just with their code sample, they've built a better free-to-play cross-platform shooter than both Miska and Joe Shot combined. <laughs> We're using their engine. Let's be honest. Like, it's so good. <laughs> and so, the, like, immediately, okay, sit down, Cocos, who already said, you know, raised $50 million to go after metaverses. Unity, like, Unreal is just so much further down the line here. So then, on top of this, Epic has Fortnite, a live service at a massive scale with the exact audience you'd want to build this, right? An existing game that's highly retaining, right? And then being able to add a whole ton of game modes on top of this to continue to retain. So Board Ape, sorry, you do not have this, right? Like you have a scaled images, right? But you don't have a scaled game service. And on top of this, they have a boatload of cash from Fortnite, right? That really only say Facebook and Microsoft could compete with. So really sit down any of these kind of VC backed companies that are starting from scratch right now. And on top of this, they have an existing cosmetic economy linking all of these experiences and game modes together with millions of players already invested in that economy. So already sit down Microsoft, who's talking about like Game Pass, right? They they have to build that up and then figure out an interoperability of, of their cosmetic system, right? And then on top of that, Epic has an altruistic leader that has a clear and realistic vision of what the metaverse could be in the short term as well as the long term. Right, this isn't like Facebook's weird super corporate metaverse. It's not tied to VR. It's not tied to a whole bunch of technology that's not going to work out. Right. So if we're talking about like a, a a massive social hangout in the next five to ten years, it's really epics to lose. Like that, the metaverse will not be won based on what blockchain you use. I think it'll be won by offering a seamless experience into fun ex- activities that you can hang out with your friends in online. So. Like, add in this news about Epic talking to Lego means that they're getting serious about going up against Roblox for a young, younger demographic, which I'd still, you know, bet on Fortnite over Roblox. Um, I just think that there's, um, you know, there's some risk with this deal, given how restrictive Lego can be about being family friendly. But if there's anyone that could take on Roblox, it would be Fortnite in combination with Lego. Um, but <laughs> I, I just say good luck to anyone who works at Epic that now has to figure out how to block uh. phallic symbols. From being built yeah. in this Lego censorship squad. The problem with all these, um, yeah, these startups like raising these massive valuations, right? Is like, you know, you you come in and and we're we're in an environment now where like a lot of um, these high flying, high growth private companies are being uh, are, are are being like re rated, right, by like some of the late stage companies that invested in them, right, and so. You know, when that happens, like you have to think, like, is what is my equity really worth, right? I mean, you join at, at like at, right after one of these mega rounds, right, where the valuation is kind of sky high, and it's like, how could they possibly sustain that? They really have to deliver on the entirety of this bold, um, you know, vision. And if they can't, then your equity is 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 going to be re-rated too, right? Versus like a company like Epic, which ha- starts from like a a, 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 a a very strong, you know, sort of revenue machine. And kind of can continue to scale that. Now, I don't think my sense is that Epic doesn't give out equity to employees. I could be totally wrong about that, um, but but I'm, I'm sure they compensate people very, very, very well, right? And you, you, that's like a calculus you have to make. So I'm, I guess my point is like a lot of these like high growth private uh, companies are are starting to lose, you know, they're they're losing employees because people are saying there's no way 
you know, the calculus that I made when I joined this was my equities are this much. And I sort of, um, you know, I, I, I apportion that out over like five years, six years. I can add that on top of my base salary. And that's how much I made. And like now if you're thinking like, well, I've got to kind of rate this down by 50% because probably this ambitious vision is not deliverable, then like probably it makes more sense to go to like an epic, right? And so I, I think like the, in, a, in a war for talent now, um, you know, it, it, there's, there's, there's probably, uh, it's probably more interesting to work at Epic's implementation of the metaverse than some company that just raised a mega round based on like a really, really sort of like highfalutin, um, you know, bold vision. Yeah, absolutely agree. All right. Uh, to, Ethan, yeah, you want to, to talk continue about the meta, meta, the meta metaverse talk. I mean, my, my thing is I do feel like when mo 90% of the time, uh, when people say the word metaverse, they just mean Roblox competitor. And I think both of these stories put that, uh, kind of show that. And, you know, maybe the other 10% of the time, um, uh, people are really just mean, uh, licensing deals when they say metaverse, but, uh, you know, metaverse is an overused term. Um, the story I'm commenting on, it's a pair of blog posts and a YouTube video put out by Meta, uh, the company formerly known as Facebook. Um, the Meta blog uh, was testing new tools for Horizon Worlds creators to earn money. And then this was accompanied by a in-Horizon uh, in video broadcast. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, Horizon is like legless uh, second life. And so this was kind of a, uh, a, a hosted Facebook uh, developer talk show within uh, Meta, uh, within Horizon Worlds. And uh, really, they're just talking about their creator program, and it doesn't sound that different from um, Roblox, right? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg said, "You need to uh, if you're if you want to be a creator in one of these uh, virtual worlds, you need to support yourself and make a good living building these awesome experiences." Um, and so, really, just it, the more I read about it and the more he talked about it, it's like, oh, this is just uh, Horizon. Horizon is a is a Roblox competitor. It has nothing to do with the. Uh, you know, some of the articles are like, oh, but you can't use items between games because they're not NFTs yet. It's not clear that this has any blockchain um, arm to it. Uh, so in the blog, it says, tools are steps towards our long-term vision for the metaverse where creators can earn a living and people can purchase digital goods, services, and experiences. Um, and so what that means is you're a creator in Horizon. You can make a world and you can sell items in your world that can't be used in other people's. So again, this just sounds like Roblox. And, and this to me... Um, Again, more Roblox comparison. There are two sets of fees creators have to deal with. They pay a 30% fee to uh, Meta, or to, sorry, a 30% fee to Oculus, and then a 25% fee to the Meta App Store. And that's the developer's take is, is the rest of that. Um, I don't know if there are going to be other fees to, to pay for service, uh, server costs and stuff, but like, uh, this compares to Roblox fees where a dev take home is 24.5% looking at their website. So, um, you know, similar to what I was saying about interoperability, you have to believe in two bets here. One is that uh, VR will become a mass adoption thing. Um, and I, you know, I heard a lot of good stuff about Quest sales over Christmas. Uh, perhaps I am an old and the next generation is going to be VR native, uh, or, you know, VR is going to be a mainstream, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if VR is mainstream in 20 years, but like not in the next five, uh, I don't think. So you have to bet on VR and then you have to bet that horizon worlds will become the dominant social network of, um, VR. And I just don't, this, this feels like second life. This feels mm -hmm. like PlayStation home to me. Um, which means, like, I think those are niche where something like uh, World of Warcraft is kind of yeah, mass. Or Fortnite or... You or know, Fortnite, yeah. It These, feels this forced, feels, right? Yeah, it it feels very forced. And and the main thing is, are they going to be able to attract... Is Horizon... And Sandbox, I think, has a similar thing, similar challenge, but they put up pretty good numbers on their Alpha 2, much much higher DAU than I was expecting. What, what was their DAU for Sandbox? Oh, I took a screenshot of thousands. This. Uh, over, um, over a thousand. 
Oh, like I think they were saying like two fifty da two fifty k dau. Okay, that's a lot. Um, let me come on, Ethan. I screenshotted this and I yeah. can't find it. Um, oh, here we go. Um, okay, three hundred twenty five thousand players over the month. Uh, was one was this is from Hadrian Carpentier. So for for an alpha of a crypto metaverse world, that's pretty good. So, yeah. anyways, like uh, you know, last week we talked about GameFam, and GameFam is one of the biggest uh, publishers on Roblox, and like uh, their portfolio can do two hundred fifty, two hundred seventy five, three hundred thousand concurrents in their best days. So that's a a number. Joe gave me an email a while ago. Like they can do north of three hundred thousand concurrence by now, so their DAU's probably in the the millions, and that's what allows them to take a large, uh, mature bet against the Roblox market. And like, are millions of players going to show up for Horizon? Uh, I wouldn't bet on that in the next five years. Yeah, you know what worries me about things like Horizon, not worries, but but what I'm constantly thinking about is like this thing is being developed by hundreds and hundreds of people at Meta or Facebook mm-hmm. from around the world. And they're hiring the best and the brightest to this massive, massive production. Who's heading this? Who's the who's the uh, who's the king of Horizon? Who's the vision holder? How many fucking meetings do they have? Like, I can't (laughs) even imagine. Like, I can't, I honestly, like, it sounds, like, this is just me imagining, but I imagine a total corporate nightmare in developing this type of a project. Like, you know, Fortnite is a gigantic game, but it was quite small before they scaled up, before they found the success. Now, with these type of games, like, like, the whole company has pivoted into this. Like, they're all in. And they have infinite resources. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know if they can execute on it just because I mean, they, they have too many resources. The thing resources. is, is like when I talk about a 20-year horizon, they mm-hmm. can invest in a 20-year horizon. Yeah, and so maybe Mark Zuckerberg says like, guys, I don't care how much money we lose over 10 years. Like we need to be – the only way we're going to be the Facebook mm-hmm. of VR is yeah. by investing in it longer But what than I'm anything. trying to say is there's no money. There's no – they have too much money. I mean, and, right. and I assume that in these companies – like even, even when you describe this, this is like Roblox. So, so we've gotten to a point where like fuck it. Like let's just deconstruct an existing game and just do our version with it without legs and with ton of diversity. And this is, this is going to be us. And it's like – I I don't know. It's uh, I don't I don't mean to be mean. I just yeah. I just have an idea how corporations work, and there's no bigger and more right. and better resource than Meta. And I would be just like terrified to to even think about working on the, a project. The thing but, that I think know. that this sort of VR um, metaverse play is missing is um, it's because it's imagining mass market success on the scale of Instagram, Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter, mm-hmm. Discord. And the thing is, is that for all of those platforms, convenience and economy of met, like, why is Instagram the preferred uh, communication method over Facebook is because it's just a picture and you don't have to do any reading. Like when you're truly talking about mass market, like a, a scrolling feed of pictures, I think is more in line with somebody, what mass market users want than mm-hmm. a 3d virtual world where you walk around so like i think wh- what do i think the instagram of the of vr or ar is going to be well it's going to be you're in an ar thing you're walking around the world with your contact lenses and you see a feed of instagram <laughs> pictures and you can like make a gesture to to expand it like the the economy of communication is really important i think to social networks and that's why i don't really believe in these second lifey things. Mm-hmm. And then um what was my other point going to be on top of that? Uh I think your point is just meta. <laughs> you should you should hire Ethan. <laughs> when whenever you're ready to pivot, Ethan can lead the team of 2000 product managers. No, uh, everybody with an opinion who wants a one-on-one who has an Ivy League degree and everybody's smart and you want to yeah. just have a conversation with everybody. So that's uh that's 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 what's gonna happen. Yeah. Um are we good on this? We're yeah, good I on think, Twig. I think I think I've beaten uh my my horse to death. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a cha- the, the the biggest thing is like you're trying to create something new, 
and you yeah. don't have and you have infinite resources and you have put in infinite resources on it and you're trying to make something that is gigantic world changing and it's challenging I, and again, this is me assuming it's challenging when you have don't have the organization for it, but you have the brightest minds and everybody's working on it. And there's just too much people, too much noise, too many meetings, and you can't execute on anything. And the MVP has grown there's, to, 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 um, to, to, you know, gigantic. Right. When you're trying to innovate, and similar to how with the social network, an economy of communication is important. When you're trying to innovate, an economy of yeah. stakeholders is important. Yes. And on that note, I need to go and communicate with the fam, Ethan, All right. Adam, Suford. It was a pleasure. Talk to everybody next week. And we are out. <laughs>